You're visiting the mom next door and our stories of faith. I'm glad you dropped by for a visit. Please stay a while and hear what the Lord has done in the lives of moms just like you and me. Hi, everybody. I am excited for all of us to get to know Angela today. She and I are in a writing group together. She's there because she's an author and she knows what she's doing. And I am there because I'm a stalker and I want to learn more about writing. One thing that I've learned, though, in this writing group is that authors are everyday people, just like you and me. I've enjoyed following a little of Angela's story and what God has been doing in her life. And I asked her to join us today because I think it'll be a blessing to you, too. So, Angela, would you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I live in Idaho and I've got three kiddos. My baby just graduated. So I'm going to that empty nester stage that's kind of strange and new to me. I have been writing since 2009. My first book came out in 2010. It was a romance novel called Love Finds You in Sun Valley, Idaho. After I wrote it, my first husband decided to leave and I was had to write a romance novel while going through a divorce. And I decided not to write any romance for a while after that. But God really romanced me through that time and showed me what love is. And I ended up meeting Mr. Strong and just having my life redeemed, really. And now there's nothing else I want to write more about than romance and relationships. So I just had um, a sequel to my Love Finds You book ended up getting filmed as a movie. That's exciting. Yeah. Finding Love in Big Sky, Montana. So my husband and I got to go up there and be extras in it earlier this year, and it should be coming out soon. I'm not sure where yet. I don't know if it'll be Hallmark or Netflix or whatever, but you could read the book now if you're interested. Oh, that's exciting. And you said Mr. Strong, and I think I failed to say that you're not just Angela, you are Angela Ruth Strong. So that makes a lot more sense. So you were telling me that talking about healthy relationships is really a lot on your heart. And I think a lot of it started back with that um, divorce and, and walking through that. Yes, I had to, I had to learn the hard way. I was at a writer's conference in Estes Park, Colorado, and this was back in 2009. And I had a publisher interested in one of my books and I was so excited I went to my bunk room and I just laid there on my bed and I also had my Bible on my bed and I hadn't read it that day. So I was like, well, I better read. And I opened up and I read where David said, God, you are my all. And I wrote, God, you are my all in my prayer journal. But then I started thinking, is that really true? And I remembered how David had prayed test me. And I thought about that and I was like, do I have the faith to tell God to test me. And um, I cried about it. And I wrote in my prayer journal, test me. And then that night we went out on a hayride. And as we were on the hayride, I met a woman who was writing books for parents who lost their children because she had two kids die. And I tried to renegotiate with God. I'm like, hey, God, remember when I said test me? Don't touch my family. (laughs) But I, but it wasn't like he was saying, Angela, you want a test? I'll give you a test. He was saying, 
you know, I'm your all, you know it. And he was preparing me because I went home from that conference to eventually find out that my husband had started an affair while I was there. And it just trying to understand what was going on and having to heal my heartbreak. I did a lot of studying on relationships and really God love and how that needs to be a part of every relationship. So like I said, I learned the hard way. <laughs> God takes us to places that we never saw coming, doesn't he? But he goes before us and he provides a way and people around us and all sorts of things to learn along the way. Yeah, I didn't know he was my all until I had nothing else left. And he really did become my all. And he romanced me through that time. He, um, I think for Valentine's Day, my ex's parents sent me flowers. I got chocolates from my publisher. I was given tickets to the Heart Ball, which is usually like $250 a ticket. And I was like, God wants me to go to a ball. Like I felt like Cinderella. That's so awesome. And I love how you said that, that God romanced you. And I think that's where we need, that's our, he's our first love, right? Yes. He's our first love and he is where we need to, to go to when we are thirsty for love and all of the things that go along with it. So for him to take on that role for you and carry you through, that's perfect. Yeah. And I learned a lot through it because my identity had been that as a of a wife. I got married when I was 21, stay at home mom, just thought my husband would take care of me. And then all of my name was off the bank account and he was trying to take the kids away. And I was completely lost. Like who was I on the weekends when I had, when the car broke down on the side of the road and I could have sat there all weekend because the kids were with him, but he would have even missed me. I really had to find myself again and find my identity in Christ. So what did you, how did you do that? God really, he really provided people around me. Anytime the doors of a church were open, I was inside like seeking direction. Um, I went, <laughs> I went to Seventh-day Adventist church because they were open on Saturday. I went to Bible studies on Wednesday nights. Like anytime I was there seeking help and God really provided. I was telling you earlier that I had been reading the book Power of a Praying Wife, and that was something, it's like 30 chapters, it's by Stormy O'Mardian, but it's 30 chapters, and there's a prayer every day you can pray for your husband, so I'd been doing that for my husband, and then when he left, I was like, I need prayer, and so I went and bought Stormy's book Power of a Praying Woman, but it didn't touch these deep heart wounds, so I've been working on a book, Prayers of an Abandoned Wife, which has now become Prayers of a Wounded Heart, because whether you've been abandoned by a husband, we all have these heart wounds that we have to seek healing for, and for me, I pictured my heart like punctured wounds, like it was a sieve, and it became, you know, a colander where any love poured in would just drain right out. I was constantly emptying it. And I wanted to, I wanted to overflow with love again. So in writing my book, I focus on 30 different wounds of my heart, those areas that I need to seek healing for so that God could heal those wounds and I could overflow with love once again. Wow. That's a picture to do a picture with a colander and, and pouring out and letting it overflow is different than letting it drain out through the bottom. Yeah. It's a, it's a different feeling. I remember just being in this place where I was you know, I was the wife, I was the mom, I, I was in my first marriage, I was referred to as a Stepford wife, which is not a good thing. But I had a lot of pride that I had to deal with. And I always wanted to be the one that people came to for help. And then all of a sudden, I had nothing to give. And it was very, very humbling. 
you got to learn a new you. You got, and then I think you said finding your identity in Christ and who he made you to be and different than your identity as a wife at that point. Yeah. And it was really hard because in having someone cheat on you, they say it takes seven years to heal that wound. But having him leave me for another woman, I was constantly comparing myself to her. Like she drives a Mustang. I drive a dented minivan. You know, she's a size two. I'm gaining weight, you know, and and feeling inferior and feeling like I'd had to compete with the whole world for his love. So just a couple things from that. It was she was pretty awful to me. She would say things like, you can have your husband if you can keep him happy, which are some ones that I had to deal with later on, some misbeliefs that I started to believe. But just recently, she shared on Facebook a video of herself talking about how she'd hurt other women out of her own insecurities. And I don't know if she was talking about me. There's there could be quite a few of them. But I did just respond to her and say, thank you. And she gave me the first compliment that I'd ever heard from her. She said, I admire your strength. And I didn't want to, I like, I didn't know how genuine it is. I like, I wanted her to have forgiveness from me and from God, if that was going to hold her back, if she didn't have it. And I wanted it to be genuine, but I didn't want to get sucked in. So I was like, how do I respond to that? My strength. I don't want to, I don't want to take any credit for that. And I don't want to bait her. Like, I didn't want, I wanted it to be peaceful. I wanted to be like shaking hands with my enemies. And I just said, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And looking back, that's really what it was since then. So that was, that was 32 when he left. So when I turned 42, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And so, I mean, God had already started to deal with my pride, but then I had to go to this place where I lost all my hair. I lost my eyebrows and my eyelashes. And you think of cancer patients as losing weight, but I actually gained weight because they were giving me steroids and, you know, going through double mastectomies. And, but through that time, because I, with my first husband, I felt like I had to earn his love. And, and uh, when the other woman said, you can have your husband if you can he- keep him happy, like that became my job, like to keep other people happy, to earn my worth, to earn my love. And so in going through cancer, I could do nothing. I had nothing, but it was through that and all the love I received that just filled me up to overflowing and helped me realize that it's not about what I do. It's not about what I look like. It's not about me earning someone else's love. It's just claiming that I am loved more than I could ever imagine. And so that brought its own healing, which is crazy because cancer is horrible, but I am grateful that God used it to heal me from those past wounds. Yeah. It sounds like there was a real blessing in that tragedy. Yeah, for sure. But I think that's very real for all of us moms. We focus on the doing so Mm -hmm. much. And we, you know, I do that all the time. Like if, if somebody in the house is unhappy, it's because I was a failure, you know, and if something doesn't get done, it's all on me and it's not, but somehow as women, we take that on that. It's our responsibility to do all those things and to be all those things for all, all people. And um, so you know, I think we'd, we'd like to figure out how to navigate that without the cancer chapter in our lives, right? 
Yeah, I, I guess I just always have to learn everything the hard way, but I want to be able to share what I've learned with others so that they can learn from my experiences and avoid those tragedies. Absolutely. So have you learned a bunch of steps now that you could maybe tell us that maybe we should learn some steps that we can put into place in our families, in our home life, in our relationships now that will help us cultivate those healthy relationships? Yeah, I really had to look for tools that would help me. Um, Some of the things I learned about enabling, which I was an enabler, was in my first relationship, it had been all about, like I said, I try to make him happy. I try to control him to get what I want so that I could be happy. And he tried to control me to get what he wanted so he could be happy. When the other person's happiness is not our own responsibility. We're responsible for ourselves. So in a relationship, in a healthy relationship, it should be, I control me, you control you. And the loving thing to do is to set boundaries where you stay in a healthy place and you invite them, if they're making unhealthy choices, you invite them out of those unhealthy choices into a healthy place with you. So for me, that looked like there was a point where my ex said, I think the only way our marriage could ever be saved is if we moved, which if you learn about abuse or dysfunctional relationships, they try to isolate you. And so if we had moved, I would have been isolated from any support system. I would have been pretending to be something I wasn't because he would have wanted to hide his infidelity. But at the time, I wanted that. I wanted to keep my relationship with him. And I think God just empowered me at that moment to say, I'm only moving if it's God's will. And God hasn't told me that yet. Um, Later on, I thought, man, if I had just said yes, I could still be married to this man. I could still have my family together for my children, which was what I wanted for them. I didn't want them to grow up in a broken home. I didn't want to be a single mom. Yeah, you're holding out hope. You're like, if this will be the answer or the anecdote to the problem, then let's jump in and do it. But sometimes that's not the wisest choice. Right. And I think that in an abusive relationship, mending the relationship often falls on the shoulders of the person who's been abused. Like they, they kind of hold a carrot in front of you. Like if you do this, then you can be in a relationship with me. And so then... I mean, even the church will be like, why don't you forgive him? Why don't you submit? Why don't you? Because that's what we learned. And that works in a healthy relationship where the other person isn't trying to control you. So it's really hard. And I have this heart for women. And I know divorce is really frowned upon. And it's a horrible thing. But I think the horribleness doesn't start with the divorce. People don't get divorced because they want to. Like They they get divorced because they feel like there's no hope. And that starts before in painful marriages. And I know a lot of women and and probably some moms out there listening to this feel stuck in a painful marriage. So my advice for that is like, if you're feeling unloved and if you read Proverbs 30, there's a verse about, you know, the, the most painful things in the world. And one of them is an unloved woman who is married. And I don't ever recommend leaving because I do want restoration, but you can't really have reconciliation without that restoration, staying together when you're not both willing to do the work to put the other person first is not going to be healthy. 
Um, so I recommend stepping into that light, being the person who grows, being in a healthy place and inviting the other person to join you. And it's going to create conflict. And so this isn't just for marriages. This can be relationships with grown children. This could be relationships with parents, siblings, friends. But whenever you're in a relationship with someone, you have to be within, you know, like relative proximity of emotional health. So imagine like I'm holding my two fingers up, imagine a rubber band around that. And these are the two people in a relationship. When one person grows, that creates tension on the relationship. It is hard, it is painful. And what I wanted to do was to regress to be able to be in relationship again, but God helped me to stay strong. So one of three things happens has to happen if you start to grow and they don't wanna grow. Either you have to regress to stay in that unhealthy relationship or they're going to leave, or they'll grow as well. And that's, that's my heart for women, and is to help them to be in a place to make healthy choices and invite anybody who's in an unhealthy relationship with them to grow and to grow together. That's what I love about these groups like this. We can be women supporting each other to grow together. You said that your response to him about moving was, I'm going to pray about it. And if God tells me, right, if God moves us, I'm willing to go, but your focus is on God. It's not on the other person and what their desire is um, for you. And so how can we go wrong seeking after and running after what the Lord has for us and the other things will fall into place. And, and I think, I wish everybody could see your fingers because that visual, okay, you guys hold your fingers up and imagine that rubber band between the two and the tension that it makes. That, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that was the best advice I ever got from my counselor when I was going through my divorce. And I think I've learned the scripture verse friendship uh, with the world is being an enemy to God. So yes, we're sub- supposed to submit to our husbands and we're supposed to submit to God before them. So if they're asking us to do something unhealthy or even to move that is not God's will, they're asking us not to submit to God. And that has to be our first priority. Yeah, that's important. So what did you see with your with your children as they worked through this? Did you teach them some of those same steps or? Yeah, that's being kids in a divorce. I wasn't, my parents are still together. And so I, and that's what I wanted to give my kids and my heart breaks for them because they're really hearing two different sides and, and they don't know who to believe. And they oftentimes they'll join with the parent who they feel the less secure in that parent's love, because it's the whole enabling thing. Again, they want that parent's love. So I did take a lot of the tools. I, I found that whereas my ex had tried to control me a lot I found that they because they're they're scared so they think that they have to control me to get what they want to be happy so it's the same kind of thing and whenever there's any kind of drama there's what I like to call a manipulation triangle and there's three different sides to that this triangle one is playing the hero one is playing the victim and one is playing the attacker so whenever there's any drama somebody is like bouncing around from those, like attacking you one moment. And then if you respond in a way they don't like acting like they're the victim and then uh, maybe even stepping in as the hero so that they can gain your trust so that they can attack you again. 
And again, this isn't just marriage. This is any relationship where there's a lot of drama and nobody wants to be in that. Nobody wants to be, it's, it's not a win-win. There's no win in that because whatever you do, I mean, if you do the right thing, they might attack you. If you do the wrong thing, they'll act like the victim. You can't win that. So you have to get out of that. You have to draw that healthy boundary around yourself to get out of the manipulation. And so I, things like that, I would teach my children. I'd sit down and I'd draw a, a triangle and I'd be like, this, this isn't healthy. They got really sick of all my psychology, but, <laughs> but hopefully they learned from it and from the choices that I made as I grew. And you use pictures, which is always helpful. It, I mean, I see that it, I'm a visual person, so that's really good. And so I wonder, so what, at what point then did you meet Mr. Strong? It was, you'd been a single mom for a while mm-hmm. and working through this. Yeah. I, so like I said, God provided through my divorce, um, my best friend, we'd, we'd been a couple friends together and her husband left her six months before mine did. And so we were really there for each other. I'd be crying in a ball on the floor and she'd show up at the door um, with some fun, I like fun and crazy. She was just a fun and crazy person. So she brought a lot of joy to my life. Or if I was going through something that felt tragic to me, she would help me be able to laugh at it. I remember um, going to rent my my first apartment by myself, feeling all strong, like independent woman, I can do this. And then walking in and seeing that the refrigerator was shorter than me. And we had just bought a brand new stainless steel refrigerator in my old house. And, and I was just like, cry. I, I broke down. I'm like, I'm taller than my refrigerator. And, and so I'd be able to call her and she would start laughing and she'd be like, hey, let's go steal your old refrigerator. And then we'll prank your ex and be like, is your refrigerator running? (laughs) (laughs) And we would just have fun with it. And so that, I mean, laughter is the greatest medicine. She brought me a lot of healing through that. And she introduced me to Mr. Strong. Jim is his name. And uh, she just messaged me one day on Facebook and she said, hey, check out uh, Jim Strong. And I thought it was somebody she was interested in. So I went to his page and I made him a friend because I had to make sure he was good enough for her. And then she said, he'd be perfect for you. And then I was all embarrassed because I just made him a friend and I didn't want him to think I was like pursuing him. So I didn't say anything else. And he just gradually started commenting on some of my Facebook stuff. And he'd been through a very similar relationship. So he kind of knew what was going on with me. He ended up coming to a singles barbecue that we were that I was at. And uh, he came and we hit it off. We were the last to leave at 2 a.m. And he gave me two hugs. And then he did not call me for two months. And I'm like, who, you can't hug me twice and then not call. But he was going through this place where he was waiting for his youngest to graduate because he was going to move to Alaska and become a hermit because women are crazy. (laughs) And so for him to decide that he wanted to pursue a relationship with me, he had to completely change his life plan. And so two months later, I did get a call from him. And after, and then we ended up, I think I had some tickets to a baseball game and he was really into baseball. We were planning to go to a baseball game that night, but he couldn't wait. And so he's like, let's go to lunch too. So we went on two dates that first day and uh, just really hit it off. So he'd, he'd worked through his stuff, uh, but then after we were dating and having a great time, I was like, should I be dating? Like, should, shouldn't I just be a mom, just be there for my kids and not date 
ever again. <laughs> like, I mean, like there was so many extremes. I didn't know what I was doing. And so I told him, I set that boundary with him. And I was like, you know what? I don't think I can do this right now. I think I just need to be there for my kids. And it was really hard, but it was his response to me and him being supportive of my decision and still caring about me as a person. And I wasn't used to that. I was used to somebody who tried to control me to get what they wanted or being angry if I didn't give them what they wanted. So when he responded like that, I was like, wow, maybe this could work. And so about a year later, we got married. And how long has that been? It'll be 10 years in August next month, because I was telling you, I think we're going to come to Nashville where, where you are in Tennessee for right. our, yeah, he's a, he's a singer and he sings a lot of country music. And I was like, I think you'd really like Nashville. Yeah. That'll be fun for you guys. Though it's August and hot, but <laughs> I think it would still be fun. Yeah. I think you'll have fun going there. So after you got married, you started writing again. You, is that where you, cause you've written several books now, not just that one romance novel. Right. You, You've written a lot since. Yeah, well, I wrote a kids series that was really fun to share with my kids. The first one is The Water Fight Professional. So your mom readers might enjoy that for their kids ages 8 to 12. It'll appeal to readers of uh, Diary of a Wimpy Kid. It's, it's funny. Um, and I really am glad I got to share that with my kids. We just had a blast. Your children consulted with you as you wrote those books? Oh, yeah, yeah. My son was really, he's the one who inspired the story he was really into nonfiction at the time. So he's like, mom, I think you should write the real water fight professional and make it a biography about me. (laughs) So we just had a lot of fun and it was so cute. I was helping my son's class. They were doing, they were doing a little writing class. And so I was going every week to help with that. But first I'd pick up my youngest. My daughter was in kindergarten at the time and we'd go to his, I'd pick her up and she'd go with me and we'd go to his class and we'd read a chapter every week. And it was so, it was so fun. This was before it even came out, but it was so fun getting all the kids feedback. They're just so creative. But in doing that, I didn't realize that my middle child, the middle child just gets neglected, especially having three. I mean, you've, you've got a lot of middle children, but, but I just had the one. I didn't realize that she hadn't ever heard this story. So I read it to her separately, just her and me. And it was so sweet. After a few days after we'd finished, she's like, mom, do you, do you know how you feel like when you read a book and you just can't stop thinking about it because you loved it so much? She's like, I just wish I could read your book myself. And so I printed it out for her and I did a little spiral bound, you know, I gave it to her and I didn't realize she took it to her class and gave it to her teacher and her teacher was reading it to the whole class as well. Um, so I'm really glad I got to share that with them. And that series came out and I do have a a, a screenplay writer who's pitching it to her director because I think it would just be an absolute blast of a movie. Um, so I, I did that one. And then I found out that my first book, the Sun Valley book, which is set in Idaho where I live, had been optioned for film. And I never in a million years expected that. This was my first book. It was in a series set all across the country. Love finds you in, you know, all these different places. And it was a bunch of authors who'd already been published. I was a nobody, but I kind of got sucked into that, which was cool. Like I got the hardback, I got to do Costco book signings, and that was optioned for film. So when I found out that it was optioned, I kind of freaked out because I'm one of those people who counts my chickens before they hatch, (laughs) which I know I shouldn't be, but it's a lot of fun (laughs) to dream. I'm a dreamer. And so I... 
I wanted to find out more about that. Like I was the last person to find out about this. Nobody, my agent didn't know. I just, there was some other books in the series made into movies. And so I wondered if that would ever happen to mine. And I Googled and it popped up about my book being optioned. And I was like, what? Granted, I'd gone through my divorce and my last name had changed to Strong. And um, so so I wasn't even using my old email account and had must have missed all of that. But once I found out that was option, then I began pursuing that. And the story is about the middle brother of five. So I decided to write romance novels for all five of the brothers. And it was one of those that got picked up for film. And that's uh, Finding Love in Big Sky, which was really fun because we live in Idaho, not too far from Montana. So we were able to go up and uh, dance at the cowboy ball in the cowboy ball scene. Do you see that the, the things you go through in your own life are the things that you can write about then too? And, and that's obviously like a little bit of an inspiration into what you write, isn't it? For sure. If I look back through those five novels, it's kind of interesting. I can see my own growth arc. Like each of them was dealing with something that I was going through at the time. Um, now my next book that's coming out is called Husband Auditions. And it comes from an idea that I got when I was studying relationships because I want to help younger women avoid the pitfall that I fell into. And so I talk about, it's the book, The Emotionally Destructive Relationship by Leslie Vernick. And she uses this analogy that I just love. She talks about um, a person being like a water bottle. And when it's not shaken up, any sediment falls down to the bottom and the water bottle looks clear and beautiful. But then when there's conflict, it's like you shake up that water bottle and all the ickiness rises up in it. And um, those are our heart issues. So when we're going through relationship issues, we tend to focus on the other person's ickiness when really we need to look at ourselves and be like, okay, what is it in my heart that got me into this unhealthy relationship? What can I work on? And one of those heart issues, and they're, they're pretty much the seven deadly sins, selfishness, pride, anger, fear. And the one that stood out to me is laziness, because I know a lot of friends and women who get into relationships with lazy men, where the men just want to play video games or be couch potatoes, and the women are doing it all. And so I wanted to address that. And I wanted, I mean, you don't read lazy heroes in romance novels. The heroes- right yeah, the heroes are hardworking and heroic and wanting to save the girl. And so I wrote a story where there's a lazy hero and she falls in love with them, but she has a friend who's going through relationship issues with her lazy husband and she doesn't want to get into that place. And so it's about her learning to set her own boundaries and invite him into a place of growth and being okay with being alone if he doesn't make that choice. And this is in the Husband Auditions book? This is in Husband Auditions. And it's, it's a rom-com. I mean, that sounded like really serious and deep stuff. Um, but that was part of my heart for writing the story. The whole premise of the book is based on an article that came out in McCall Magazine in the 1950s on how to get a husband. It was, it was making the rounds through social media. So you might have seen it. Does that sound familiar at all? It does. And I'm thinking that this would be a good movie down the road. <sighs> Yes. I wish you were a producer. Go Google how to be a producer. There you go. Since I, since I have Googled so many other things in the last couple of years in my life, how to write a blog, how to do a podcast. I'm just going to be a producer like yep. next week. Sounds yeah. good. 
so the story is actually a woman who's the last of her friends to get married. And so they're all married. She's feeling alone. And they pass down this list from one of the girls, one of her nursing friends from nursing schools. Grandma had this list that they passed down. So she's the last to get it, which she's not happy about. But um, her brother's roommate, Kai, who wants to make a name for himself as a cameraman, talks her into trying those out so he can film them and start a YouTube show. So it's it's them filming her trying to lasso guys on street corners or sniffling softly in the corner. It's just, it's hilarious. I had a lot of fun with it. Well, it sounds like it. If it was based off of a piece of writing from the 50s, how different is that from how people do things now that's oh yeah be a lot of fun. yeah so I explored that because there's uh you know they made mistakes back there we're making different mistakes now so I yeah. just kind of explored yeah we're different but are we any better so what's the audience geared for for that is that a young adult is it a adult adult it's romantic comedy so she's 31 um age 31 so it'd be from readers from 20 to 60 Okay. Yeah. Are there any other specific thoughts you would like to share about the healthy relationships and wounded heart? Yeah, I'll just wrap it up by saying that through my two big traumas that I went through in life, the first time when my husband left me, I felt like the woman with the issue of the blood where I was just hanging on to Jesus's robe. It was just me and Jesus and he was there and he healed me. And then going through cancer, it was more like I was the paralytic man on the mat that all my friends surrounded around and lowered me through the roof to Jesus. So just whatever position you find yourself in, Jesus is there and he does have healing for you. That's so good. And I know that all of our situations are different and sometimes it's easy to think we're the only one easy to think that no one has walked this way or that we are alone, but God does see you. He knows you and he has, I'm, I'm seeing this so many times with my friends is like, he goes before us and puts people and circumstances around us to provide that net when we didn't even know that we were going to need it. Praise God. He's just so good to, to work that out and to prepare those things for us. I love that word prepared. And as an author, I feel like I can relate to the author of life a little bit. So in writing a story, I, I make it bad for my character. And then when everything's going wrong, I make it worse. And then I make it worse. And the reason I do that is because the darker the black moment, the more hopeless it seems, the more powerful it is when the character overcomes. So I've been able to see that in my own life. And when everything's going wrong, and then my car does break down on the side of a road, I can point my finger at heaven and be like, I am on to you. I know that you were giving me a powerful story of overcoming to be able to share with others so that they can see your love and light. And I think that's a mindset that actually allows you to take that on with a little more joy and a little more strength rather than feel like everybody is defeating me and this is so bad and it couldn't get any worse. Instead, if we look at those those circumstances, those hard things, those tragedies and those bumps in our life. And we look at that and say, God, you're doing something here. I just know it. You know, like it stinks right now. Right now, it doesn't feel good. Right now, I'm not happy about it, but I trust you. And I am anxious to see what you will do with this. 
for sure. And like what I just explained, how it gets worse and worse and worse. It's like you're climbing this hill. When you write a story, there's an inciting incident, something that happens that gets the character into trouble in the first place. And I think it's often connected to what it is that they've been prepared with to overcome. So if you think about Joseph and his dreams, it was his dreams that got him in trouble, but it was also his dreams. After he matured and grew, he was able to use his dreams to save a nation. And so I think just being prepared, God has given us these strengths that we often in the beginning use immaturely or naively. And then we might become afraid to use them because they got us into trouble, but God has given that to us for a purpose and that we already have exactly what we need to overcome the challenges in our life. Yes, that's so, such a good reminder. So good you remind us that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Angela, for being here today. Would you wrap us up in prayer and pray for the women wherever they are in their lives and whatever it is that they're going through? I will. Thank you. Dear Lord, just thank you for this time together and thank you that we can share with other women to build each other up and grow stronger and help each other avoid pitfalls and pain. But Lord, thank you for even using those painful moments to grow us and challenge us and maybe even help us be examples of what not to do for others, Lord. And I just pray for the women listening right now, whatever they're going through, whatever heart issue they're dealing with, whatever way their heart has been wounded, Lord, I pray that they will seek you and find your answer and your truth and your hope, Lord, and that you will bring them healing in a way that helps them overcome and helps them inspire others along their journeys as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I know my listeners are going to want to come find you, and so I know you can check on Amazon. I checked on Amazon, Angela Ruth Strong, but where else can they find you? Maybe directly connecting are you on instagram facebook yeah my my facebook group is super fun so my book that i told you the husband auditions i wasn't actually able to use that list from the 1950s i had to make up my own and i was really bummed about it but my facebook group came to the rescue and they helped me write a list and so it's just fun to hang out there and you can help me write my books if you're interested in that though i do have a website it's angelaroostrong.com You could sign up for my newsletter if you want. I have a lot of fun things going on there and giveaways as well. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. This is a wonderful podcast. I hope that you've been encouraged or challenged in your faith today and that something we discussed prompts you to grow deeper in your walk with the Lord. If it has, make sure you tell a friend so they can grow along with you. And if you or a friend would like to be a guest and share about God's faithfulness in your life, please email me at podcast at tendingfields.net because when we tell of God's faithfulness, we never run out of stories. Whatever is true, whatever is known,